Live from the 607 is the ODPH Entertainment Edition, where we're talking movies, comics, TV, and more. Why don't you join in the conversation? Hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to another edition of the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, hashtag ODPH Podcast. I am your host, Ken. I'm seeing across from me this week. As always, it's Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to discuss in the land of entertainment, so join in the conversation on social media. You can find our accounts on OchoDuroParlayHour.com. Use the hashtag ODPH because we want to interact with you. And no bigger story in the land of entertainment than Spider-Man Far From Home. Mm-hmm. Now, we are going to be talking spoilers so I'm giving you fair warning now. This isn't going to be a mislead like that has been going on to social media accounts of other accounts. This is going to be spoilers. We are breaking it down. We saw the movie yesterday as we were recording. We are going full detail into the MCU's latest edition and end piece to phase of the Infinity Saga. Mm-hmm. So in three, two, one, pad. What did you think? Loved the movie. Loved uh, Tom Holland's portrayal of Spider-Man. Absolutely on point. Jake Gyllenhaal was incredible. Great action. One of the best mid-credit scenes. No, I'm not going. I'm going to change that. The best mid-credit scene in MCU and movie history that I've ever seen. Uh, also, I got to see it a couple more times, but it might be the best Spider-Man sequel I've ever seen. It's up there with it. Spider-Man 2 of Sam Raimi's accounts, I still think is the best sequel. That's why, that's why I say might. I got to see Far From Home a couple more times to make that judgment. This film was everything you wanted if you were a fan of the late Stan Lee's early portrayals of Spider-Man. The geeky teenager who's still uncomfortable in his own skin, but mm-hmm. yet can suit up and fight any bad guy that happens to come across the way and balances what matters more, his personal life or the responsibility he bears now that he has his powers. As the one and only Ben Parker said, with great power comes great responsibility, it is never more true in this film. Now, this film is a very lighthearted film, yeah. it is very funny. I know I am very critical about how Disney always kind of shoves humor into the Marvel Universe. This one, it's very well warranted, and it starts off obviously dealing with the effects of Endgame. Mm-hmm. And we have a quick montage, if you will, of <laughs> of what is or heroes that we have lost yeah. in 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 Captain America and Iron Man and Black Widow. And it's one of the most. It's like a cold open for Saturday Night Live, and it's one of the most unsuspecting yet amazing things in the world because you get the Sony logo. And then it just hard cuts into the middle of Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. Yeah, which is hysterical of how it's set up because once you find out, it's not a major motion picture. It's not a big news organization. No, it's the Midtown High TV station. Uh huh. And the kids are breaking down yeah. what has happened. And now they're referring to the event as the blip. Yeah, and the way they explain it is that those who weren't affected by the snap back in Infinity War uh, you know, stayed a kept aging however as at their normal rate however those who were affected by the snap when they came back uh during the events of endgame came back at their uh the age they were when they left so there's one point they bring up in the film uh when peter and his classmates are getting ready to go overseas to europe i forget the person's name but one of their classmates 
uh, when they all disappeared was like this little kid running around being like that typical kid you see in, in grade school wants to hang out with the older kids. Now he's their age and all the girls are chasing after him. I believe it's Brad, yeah. who is the yeah. antagonist, as we find on later in the movie of Peter Parker. Also, he's he's this he's Tom Holland's flash Thompson from the comics and some of the older Spider-Man movies. Right. It, it's kind of an interesting parody because they already do have a flash Thompson in the film. Right. But it seems like he is now spawning another one. Yeah. Which I don't know if there's any foreshadowing down the road, but we'll have Maybe. to see. Cause as we go on, Peter Parker is now being the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man and he's dealing with the responsibility and he's planning just to get away with his classmates to a trip to Europe. He's finally planning on telling MJ how he feels and as he's going through this, he's trying to do the right thing, per se, as he's tying up loose ends at home. Right. And he's also involved in a benefit for his Aunt May. Yeah, and, and so uh, essentially the the benefit for his Aunt May, and this is kind of a fun little tie-in to the Spider-Man PS4 video game, where in the, in the PS4 video game, Aunt May is helping out with an organization called Feast, which helps, for, helps homeless people in, in every way, shape, and form. And this is kind of the same thing, but more tied in with the events of the snap, in that, you know, there were people who had a home and then disappeared and then came back and there are now people in their homes, so they're kind of not homeless. So, you know, in an effort to kind of raise money and bring money in, she's doing a fundraiser for this. But, oh, hey, what better way to kind of raise money than to bring in an Avenger Spider-Man? Right, where he is getting bombarded with a bunch of questions that he really doesn't feel comfortable answering. And I mean, he's, let's, just, he's a 16-year-old kid, and they're like, oh, are you now leading the Avengers? Oh, if we get another alien invasion, what are you going to do? I mean, the kid, he's 16. How is he supposed to know? Exactly. And this is the theme of the movie, I would say, is you're now given the burden of the world and you're only a mm-hmm. six-year-old child. How do you handle this? Yeah. And as it goes on, we find out that Happy Hogan, Mm -hmm. uh, Tony Stark's right-hand man. John Favreau. Yes, is now dating Aunt May, Yeah, we think, played by Marissa Tomei. And he's also the segue to Nick Fury because Nick Fury is now trying to find Peter Parker. Mm -hmm. And he wants him to become involved in dealing with what is being called elementals. Well, we don't know what they are at this point in the movie. We just know that there's there's stuff going on around the world because there's a scene, I want to say it leads off the movie, where uh, Fury and then uh, uh, Maria Hill are in Mexico and, you know, there's some sort of natural disaster that just hit a town. The town's wiped out. Like, you can see local authorities, you know, and, and folks living there trying to pick through the pieces and sort through the rubble and the damage. And they're like, oh, you know, listen, this is all well and horrible, but like it was, it, this is all it was. Why are we here? And, and Fury goes, because, well, what did they say? It was it was like a typhoon or a tornado or a hurricane or something? It was, it was the, some sort of wind disaster. Yes, because all of these, as we find out later on in the film, all these attacks are based off the elements of mm-hmm. earth, wind, fire, and water. Yeah, and, and this one, you know, so Maria Hill's kind of like, well, why are we here? This seems like something for, you know, local authorities. Fury goes, because the, a lot of people witness the event as having a face on it. Right. So now Nick Fury is trying to investigate, and obviously the ranks are very low Yeah. due to the events of Endgame, and everybody, as we find out throughout the film, is tied up in their own issues, mm-hmm. so to speak. Thor is off-planet. We find out Doctor Strange is unavailable, which is also leading into where they're going to wind up next in the MCU, yeah. which is a little bit of foreshadowing. Yeah. Because as the film is progressing and Peter and company finally get over to Europe, what happens? Uh, trouble finds them at every turn. Exactly. As we find out, the first stop they make, they are in the middle of an attack, and we finally see Mysterio appear. Mm-hmm. Because as they're in Venice, as their first stop, 
we see a creature come out of the water and is attacking and really kind of causing Peter to be, be Spider-Man when he's not trying to. In fact, he tried leaving his suit at home, but Aunt May snuck it in his bag. And there's some great foreshadowing in this scene where you can clear, they clearly make it evident that something's coming and Peter picks up on it. A couple characters pick up, pick up on it. And, and, but like you just say, like, you know, at this point, the, the, the elementals or the monsters are a thing that, that something is coming. So when you see this thing, it's like, oh, that's the, that's, you know, this elemental, that's this monster showing up, but we'll get to it later in the film. That's not the case. No, it isn't. And as we see when he's fighting this big, bad monster, he has a mysterious character jump in Mm -hmm. and we find out it is Mysterio who is not called that at first. No. He's just a man that is flying in. and Yeah, he just refers to himself as, as Becker, and, and you call me Quentin. Yes, as we find on later, that this mysterious figure defeats this creature. And then Nick Fury finally tracks down Peter Parker later on after, yeah. after this big battle. And we'll say after he called him and Peter ghosted him, I want to say, six or seven plus times. Yes. The, there's this very funny interaction where we see Nick Fury finally convinces Peter Parker you're coming with me and you're addressing this issue because you've ghosted me enough times. I mean, did he convince him if he really didn't give him a choice? Hey, he's convinced is convinced. He, eh, went, okay. he went one way or another, so you can't deny that. That's true. So as he's getting led into the secret S.H.I.E.L.D. organizational base, as, as I guess we can call it, yeah. we see a couple characters that we know. Maria Hill is one. Yep. We meet a character called Dimitri, and he'll come back on later in the film. And as we see Beck, as he is known as, meets Peter Parker. Now, yep. all his friends at this time are calling him Mysterio, and that's become kind of the social media hashtag, if you will. Right, and because and the local Italian news is talking about him, and in the Italian news, they call him a man of mystery, but the they the, the uh, classmates hear Mysterio, and they're like, oh, he's Mysterio? And somebody goes, no, they said, you know, this is what they said, and it means man of mystery. And, and everyone, there's like three or four people who are like, no, Mysterio's better. Right, so as Peter Parker meets Beck, he tells him about his name, and obviously... Beck lights up and goes, oh, I like that. That'll work. And as he's breaking down the story, his claim of he is from a multiverse planet. And so what does he say? He says they're they're on Earth 616, but I forget. He said he named what other Earth he, he was from. 833. Oh, okay. Yes. He claims that he is from that planet, which has a little bit of interesting tie-in to... The uh, Spider-Man verse. So what you're saying is they didn't just pick a random number. No, it isn't. It's from it's the planet of the multiverse that has Spider-Man UK from. Oh, okay. Now there was no other connection other than that from the books to the the film. So, at least, at least in the final product, there might have been something left on the cutting room floor that we know of. Yes, but as far as we know, the only thing we can confirm is eight three three was the planet that Mysterio was claiming he's from, and he's right. talking about the multiverse and how he defeated these creatures over there that he's calling the elementals. And well, he that he tried to defeat. He tried to defeat, but he couldn't. Then he destroyed his world, and now they're here on Earth, and he's now teaming with Nick Fury to defeat them once and for all. And he needs help from Peter Parker, and they're convincing Peter that you need to do this. Where Mysterio really isn't. He's trying to befriend him, and he's mm-hmm. really trying to be, I don't want to say the father figure he doesn't have, but obviously without Tony Stark, there is a void of mentorship. Oh, so yeah, he's definitely playing the the mentorship missing father figure that Tony played for him, mm-hmm. but without Tony's, like, you know, the thing with Beck is he was very embracing and very hugging and very like, hey, come here, kid, you know, pat on the shoulder while I give you a hug. Whereas Tony was like, you know, OK, I'm going to push you away from me a little bit and pat you on the head. and OK, go about and do your business. But I'm but I still care about you. Right. So at this point, the recruitment of Peter Parker is not really working because all he keeps saying is, listen, you guys have this. 
I, I just want to have a normal life. I want to go meet MJ. I have this plan to, to make this happen. And he's just saying he wants to get back on a school trip. And Nick Fury pulls Nick Fury tricks to make this happen. Because one and another one of his kind of complaints is like, listen, you know, I was Spider-Man was there on my class trip in Washington, D.C., and people almost made the connection then if Spider-Man shows up again on this class trip across the ocean, it's not going to be hard for people to put two and two together. No. So Fury goes to great lengths to disguise his appearance as Spider-Man mm-hmm. throughout Europe and or orchestrate his class trip. Well, so, yeah, they, you know, they've got a trip. I think it's at the start. It's fairly simple where it's like, OK, we're going to go to Venice. Then we're going to go to Paris and then we're going to, you know, go home. And then it ends up, you know, one of the professors or the teachers who's kind of chaperoning the entire thing goes, oh, hey, our uh, our travel agency upgraded us. And now we're going we're going to Prague. Yes. Where it's really confusing to the class, but to everybody watching at home, it makes sense that Nick Fury is just yeah. pulling strings, even to have Dimitri be the bus driver yeah. for the for the class. That was great. And during this time. Peter is dealing with a teenage dilemma of Brad mm-hmm. possibly hooking up with MJ. Yep. He now has a picture of him changing into a Spider-Man costume, albeit though it does not appear that at the time when he's taking no. the picture. And there's one little element that Peter has from Tony Stark that's mm-hmm. in his favor. Mm-hmm. That he is given a pair of glasses. Stylish looking glasses. Stylish glasses that are called Edith. Mm-hmm. Which, what does that stand for, Pat? What was it? Every day I'm the hero? Yes. Or even dead I'm the hero. Even dead I'm the hero, yeah. Yes, which is the keys to Stark Industries. Everything. Weaponry. Everything. Like, he's got the... Library, you name it. He's got the keys to the Lamborghini. Like, it's everything Stark... Like, and I'm kind of wondering if Pepper knows about this, because Lord knows she'd have an issue with this. But, like, he's got access to the satellites and the mainframe and the network and the this and that and the everything. And it's like, okay, it's nice and touching, but it's also in the hands of a 16-year-old. Yeah, which goes again to with great power comes great responsibility. And as Peter is trying to learn how to use this, he winds up actually causing a drone attack on Brad. Because one of the features of, of Edith is not only does it have access to, you know, all of Stark Industries, everything, it can also look at cell phones and get into phones and delete things. So he first puts it on and it kind of like, oh, yeah, we can look at cell phones and like it's looking at what people are searching and what people are listening to or texting. And and he wants to delete the photo of him getting the stealth suit from the shield agent or Agent yes, Fury. Yes, shield agent. And, and, you know, he wants to delete it from Brad, but, like, he misspeaks and launches a drone strike on Brad, ergo also his entire class. Yes. So at this point, he kind of has to do some backpedaling and, and save the day without blowing his identity. Yeah. Which this whole plan of meeting MJ has just been off from day one yeah. he can't pull it off in fact even on the plane ride when his goal is to you know have a pair of headphones to listen to and watch a movie with her it fails mm-hmm. even though there is a great easter egg in there too because when you look at the movie selection yeah there is a nova logo mm-hmm. now if you're not familiar with richard Ryder, google it because i have a feeling that he will be appearing sooner than later i mean they are working the on MCU. they're working on a movie right so be forewarned that maybe guardians 3 if that comes out first I'm just saying, possibly. But as we get back, though, Peter is still trying to grasp that he almost blew up his class, and he winds up going to Prague where they have the big bad with the Molten Man-looking elemental, Mm -hmm. which I always found it very interesting that the Molten Man or the fire element looked like the Molten Man and the water element looked like Hydro Man, which if you know the Spider-Man mythos, you do know that those are two 
rogues in his gallery. Right. Different characters, different reasons, what have you. Yeah. So I thought it was very interesting that they pulled that off for it. And as they go to do their big battle and he winds up saving uh, MJ and Ned and, and Betty, who, I mean, is a very interesting side story if you know the Spider-Man history mm-hmm. of Ned Leeds and Betty Brant. Yeah. Which I thought was a very nice modern take about it. Yeah. It's just a little tip of the cap, too. Maybe a little foreshadowing. Who knows? Right. But at this point, Spider-Man saves the day, and he's now getting talked into by Mysterio about, what do you want, Peter? Yeah. What do you want? And Peter's like, I want to go talk to MJ. I don't want this responsibility. I just want to be a kid again. I just want to you know, talk to her and then you know, deal with that. And he winds up turning over Edith to Mysterio. And slight side note, holy shit, did he look a lot like Tony when he put those glasses on. Yeah, it was creepy. Jake Gyllenhaal. Whole, like, I, like I'm, I'm betting that there was some deliberate work done in the makeup department and even with the directors and, and the folks who were in charge of making the film to make him look somewhat like Tony but my god like there was a split second he like we you know some people we were seeing the film with I think we all kind of simultaneously gasped when he put those glasses on yeah he definitely looked like Tony at that yeah instance, which I don't know because knowing the character as we right, get into right that if this was done on purpose or not but Peter winds up giving him Edith mm-hmm and he goes on his way. And at this point, you see Mysterio just almost do his own little Thanos snap. Mm-hmm. And the illusion of the bar they are in yep. disappears. And there's a room full of people yeah. that have been sitting there quietly watching everything happen. Mm-hmm. Now, Pad, what is the significance of this group? Well, so this in, the interesting thing about this group, and we kind of go through this because we're getting the usual villain monologue with, oh, this is my plan and this is what we're going to do. Uh, basically, everyone in the room at one point worked for Tony Stark and was cast off by Tony Stark in some way. Uh, we get a fun little tie back from Iron Man one uh, with Peter Billingsley. Yes, that Peter Billingsley, who of course played Ralphie in a, ch- a Christmas story. Uh, it ties back to Iron Man one where he played. If you remember, uh, I want to say it was like midway through or three quarters of the way through the film when Obadiah Stane is really trying to get his own Iron Man suit. He screams at an engineer like Tony Stark built his suit with, you know, sticks and stones in a cave and you can't get this done. That's Peter Billingsley, who's showing up in the film, who's now got an axe to grind against S.H.I.E.L.D. and everything Tony Stark did. And then the other interesting tie in is if you remember back in the beginning of Civil War, where Tony is kind of re-experiencing the last moment he talked to his parents before they tragically died in that car accident. Uh, the technology that was shown off in that scene was not created by Tony Stark, but was co- uh, created by uh, Quentin Beck. And he, you know, Beck goes, oh, there were a lot of applications for this. It could have done a lot of good for the world, but he used it for his own therapy session. Right. And he decided to name Beck's life work Farf. as Barf. Or Barf, yeah. Yeah. So at this point, Beck has now recruited a bunch of ex-Stark employees with an axe to grind. Each one has a different skill set mm-hmm. to do. And Beck reveals that his ultimate plan was to get this technology from Peter. Now, yeah. how he knew he had it is a different story. Right. But he's said that he just wants to become the biggest superhero in the world since Tony Stark is gone. I'll say somehow they picked off on it. Like, he doesn't go into details, I think. But, like, he does in his monologue, like, where he's going through all the major... He doesn't go through everyone in the room. He goes through some of the major people. There was one person who, like, oh, and and to you who figured out that they weren't giving the glasses to us, but they were giving it to Peter Parker. So somehow they picked off on it, but I'm not quite sure. No, it it was a wild scene, though. It definitely was, and now you know the true intentions because as far as we knew, Mysterio was just somebody who had magical powers that came in and could you know, shoot light beams and fly around. 
but now it's r- revealed to be what his comics origin is. Wait, and and for people who don't know who Mysterio is and aren't familiar with the character, was a great plot twist. Oh, it was an amazing plot twist. If you didn't know who he was, right? And and if you did know who it was, it was still good. Oh, how they pulled it off too, and I love how they modernized it to the MCU. Yeah. Because they tie in a lot to Tony Stark because Tony Stark is the figurehead of the MCU, mm-hmm. let's be honest. Yeah. But to see how they portrayed it and really flipped it and you could understand his motivations and why he wants to do it. And you can obviously see on how unhinged he's become since his life's work was ruined really plays into the character. And Jake Gyllenhaal did an amazing job as Mysterio to portraying this. Yeah. So you fully understand his, his idea. And his idea was, well, now I'm going to become the biggest hero in the world. I'm going to create an Avengers-level event, mm-hmm. wipe out half of London to prove my point, yeah. take out Nick Fury because Nick Fury is the most paranoid man in the world yeah. and is the only one who can stop me. I've already... it's, it's about time a villain who's come into contact with Nick Fury knows this. Yes. Oh, it was fully laid out. And Peter Parker was just happy going and having his time with MJ, which he finally has the moment. He's ready to talk to her, ready to say how she feels, or he feels, and she decides to say in a big curveball, I know you're Spider-Man. Which, I mean, you can't exactly tell in the moment if she's serious or not. Right. But at this point, he's kind of caught off guard, and then she whips out from her bag after they've gone on this long walk where they've escaped from when they're getting sent back home to Europe or from Europe back to the United States because of all the trouble that's been going on, mm-hmm. a image projector, yeah, which she drops, and it goes off, and you see the clouded elemental, whoever that's supposed to be. I'm going to yeah. say maybe it's Whirlwind, no in the Iron Man universe. But either way, now Peter Parker goes, oh, sugar cookies. Yeah. I screwed up. Yeah. I screwed up yeah. bad. Yeah, because the entire time, like, they're having this back and forth, he's trying to play off that he's not Spider-Man, and he's, try- like, he's trying to, like, Spider-Man dodge his way out of it, but it just doesn't work, and it's not working, not working, not working, and then, like you said, that projector goes off, and he's just, like, tr- his train of thought just hard stops, and he's like, well, this is all over, I might as well just say it. Yes. So, at this point, he reveals he's Spider-Man, he now is like, we have to get out of here, we have to figure out a plan, I have to go to London, because... That's where they wanted to go. Well, he's got to go to Berlin first. Berlin first. Because uh, Fury and Maria Hill are heading to Berlin to talk with somebody. But there's a great line before he decides to go to Berlin where where he tells MJ, uh, I am Spider-Man and we need to do X, Y, and Z. MJ goes, wait, you're you're being serious? I was only like 60% sure. Right. Which is a great place. And Zaya has done a great job making MJ into her own character. Yeah. And just kind of the little quirks they have with with her and Tom Holland, I I think, is becoming something very good on the screen, too, because Mm -hmm. it's not the typical Peter MJ story. No. But before we go into more of that, let's take a quick break. You are listening to the ODPH podcast. Hey, this is the King of Lyle, Luke Visengard, Gladius 205 champion, and you're listening to the ODPH. Coming back, talking more Spider-Man Far From Home on the ODPH podcast. So that being said, they're on the way to Berlin, and Mysterio knows that they're on the way because he's the one that was planning on doing the rendezvous. Right, because because uh, there's one point where Mysterio's with his his henchmen and his crew, and they're, they're setting up, getting ready for their next attack, and he goes to put his quote-unquote suit on, and uh, his one of his hands starts glitching, the projection starts glitching, and he goes, hey, what's wrong with this? And the guy who's in charge of projection goes, oh, it, you know, it's nothing. One of the drones was missing a projector when, he, when it came back. It's no big deal. It'll be ready by the time we go to do it. 
and he goes, wait a minute. No, this isn't, this isn't good. If we're missing a projection, somebody could find this and pass it on to the right people. And it's got everything on there that we are doing and it will tie back to me. Yes. And at this point he now makes a plan. He's like, he tells William Riva, who that is Billingsley. Yeah. He tells him Peter Parker's blood is now on your hands. Yeah. Cause now I got to kill him too. And at this point, they have their first battle as Mysterio versus Spider-Man in mm-hmm. Berlin. And it's very interesting to see how they did. The CGI in this was great. Oh, it was incredible. And you truly got the sense of how big Mysterio's powers can be. It ha- it almost had a vibe to it that reminded me a little bit of the way they did Scarecrow in the Batman Arkham games. Right. It definitely did because it played off his emotions and it played off even so much to go back to the original Spider-Man movie where he had the original suit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm talking mm-hmm. the bottom-rate Scarlet Spider suit. Yeah. And just tying in that and just really downplaying the spider sense of Peter Parker because that still has not been fully 100% since Endgame. Right. I mean, you've see, you saw in you saw glimpses of it in Infinity War where like he was sitting on the bus and he wasn't really paying attention and then his hair stood up on his arm. But like it's not something that they've kind of fully dove into or, or used in the films uh, thus far. Yes. And he gets handed... A oh, God, very yeah. crushing defeat by Mysterio, who tries throwing him under a train. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. In the way it comes off in the film, is that he, it looks like he got hit by a train. Right. But he winds up being on a train, knocked out, and winds up in the Netherlands. <laughs> which, at this point, Mysterio is on his way to London. Fury is there waiting for him. And Spider-Man pulls out his you know ace in the hole so to speak and calls happy well and the, and the whole netherlands scene is one of the funnier scenes they've done in recent mcu movies because he wakes up he's all banged and bloodied and he's just laying there and there and you can clearly tell if you're some, any sort of a sports fan he wakes up in a jail cell and there are these three or four gentlemen all dressed the same clearly having been there from some sort of events at a soccer match and you know he goes wait where am i and they're very polite, and they tell him where he is, and they tell him what's going on. And, oh, you were found in a train yard, and you look a little cold, so we gave you a shirt. Here you go. So Spider-Man goes, oh, I need to get out of here, you know, and goes to up to the first person he meets in this local market square and goes, hey, can I borrow your phone? And the guy goes, oh, yeah, sure, here you go. And he goes, everyone's so nice here. Yeah, it was a very cool moment, too. I mean, like I said, the humor in this film was spot on, and just how Tom Holland's com- comedic timing in this, too, was, yeah. was perfect. Yeah. But as he meets with Happy... He's laying, letting him know the plan. And, and, I mean, there's kind of that heart-to-heart moment that mm-hmm. he usually has with either Tony or even you know, Uncle Ben way back when. Yeah. Where he gets that motivation, like, what are you going to do now? Like, you know, you have this power as your friends are in trouble. And all of a sudden, Spider-Man just goes, I'm going to kick his ass. Well, and there's a nice moment where Peter, like, because the entire time, like, he's been there haven't it's not been every scene but it's been a majority of the scenes he's gone past some sort of memorial for tony Mm -hmm. where there's there's a mural or like a graffiti type painting in new york when he lands in venice there's a giant led board in the airport with like a memorial of of tony in front of like a, a traditional venice background like it's everywhere that he goes there are even you know there are even memorials set up on the streets in paris i want to say you know or prague it's just like everywhere he goes and he finally has a moment to go i miss him yeah he finally has the time to grieve yeah which you know you think about it this is supposed to be like not long after the events of endgame he has literally had no time to like process this right i mean he went to the funeral and obviously that's the time and place but it's still for him and for how close he was and now the responsibility he now bears i mean that goes back to the overlying uh theme of the movie where 
you're now given the power to defend the world into a, a person who's a 16-year-old child. Right, and you really think about it in the comics, his you know, two biggest early on in his career deaths that affected him are of course uh his uncle Ben and then Gwen Stacy. Well, obviously Gwen Stacy, you know, hasn't died in this film, hasn't even really shown up in this film, but you know, you really think about it, Tony Stark is his Gwen Stacy. Well, it's his uncle Ben more so than right, than, more right. so than Gwen Stacy. Gwen Stacy plays an impact of what happens in the field, so to right, speak. Right. But just for his like sheer mentorship, it's Tony Stark and it's Uncle Ben. I mean, that's the one too. Gwen Stacy plays a big factor and they have yet to touch upon that. Yeah. I don't think they're ever going to. No. And I'm perfectly okay with that. I'm team Mary Jane and I always yeah. have been about yeah. that. So that being said, he is getting his motivation to go back and go fight Mysterio and he gets to make his suit on the plane. And it's funny, there's this very quick comedic moment where uh, Happy goes, I'll take care of the soundtrack, and he starts playing ACDC Black and Black. Mm -hmm. And Peter goes, oh, I love Led Zeppelin. (laughs) And I'm thinking, okay, interesting choice, because obviously Peter Parker, or Tony Stark is associated with Uh ACDC and always playing that. And Led Zeppelin is Thor because of Immigrant Song from from Ragnarok. Yeah, and and it also just plays into kind of the comedic one-liners with with tom holland and peter parker where hey guys you remember that really old movie uh the empire strikes back hey guys you see that really old movie alien yeah i mean it's just it's so interesting how they wrote the humor in this and i like i said it doesn't feel rushed it doesn't feel forced it feels very generic which i mean perfect just for what it needs to be but then when he finally gets to london he has his new suit he's ready to go the newfound motivation and he finally gets a chance to get his plan together, and this is just his proving ground, mm-hmm. where they tip off Nick Fury via code that something's going on with Beck. Beck is sitting there, and he's ready to do his big you know, performance, and Spider-Man f- goes, okay, this is how we're going to take this out. He's got drones. I'm going to take them out. And as soon as he starts doing that, the illusion is gone, and Beck mm-hmm. winds up losing his grip, so to speak. And you see him hit the panic button because he knows, well, i got to go after Ned Betty and MJ because they know his secret. Right. And he's also got Maria and uh, Nick Fury targeted because he's basically targeting anyone who knows what is going on and what the deal is so that he can keep this charade going. Right. And he just is going back and forth with Peter, who's fighting drones left and right, who are now, you know, using Edith or Beck is using Edith rather Mm -hmm. to attack Peter. So he's fighting drones all over the place. And this whole sequence is really Tom Holland really coming into it like this is his peak moment yeah you really think about it like that whole action sequence yes he was good in, in Infinity War he was good in Endgame but like this is like the peak of his performance thus far yeah you finally get to see him as Spider-Man like in I want to say he's like comfortable in his own suit even in Homecoming he was right. still kind of feeling around and yeah yeah he's and, still kind of figuring it out right but this is where you fully see him as Spider-Man mm-hmm. and you fully see why he is the hero he is and he has the well-thought-out plan, and he's doing everything he can to save everybody he cares about. And this is where Spider-Man goes, or becomes Spider-Man, rather. Yeah. Where he has all these odds against him, yet he still pushes forward. I mean, this is why so many people connect with him. He's not the strongest hero in the world. He's not the smartest one. But dare I say, he's got the biggest heart of anybody. Mm-hmm. And as you see, and he's taking care of drones, and he's trying to save everybody he can they finally build up where he finally catches up with Beck Yeah. after he's destroyed all his drones for the most part. And he knows that he's got to get Edith back. 
and he has to get that under his control. And they have the standoff in the bridgeway. Yeah. Which was very interesting to see how he did. And he just basically says, you know, Rebecca is telling him, he's like, your spider sense can't stop or stop me. So what are you going to do? And just Peter just shuts his eyes and he says, no, it will shut you down. And he has this very cool fight scene with his eyes closed. Yeah. I don't know if anybody else noticed that in the theater. Oh, yeah. No, I did. There was a couple moments where his eyes opened, but the majority of it was eyes closed. Yeah, eyes closed and just trusting his spider sense, which it was working. Yeah. And he did. And when it came down, that was his way he defeated Mysterio. Even, Even at the end when it appeared that he had him beaten and he was laying on the ground, it's a literal blink and you miss it. Uh, there's he goes. You hear a gunshot go off, and Peter's just got his arm outreach out extended, and he's got a hold of Beck's gun, and it's pointed up in the air, and that's when you find out, oh, the person he's been looking at on the ground is another projection, and Beck was hidden the entire time. Right, Beck was hidden the entire time, and he's given the whole spiel that he was given the kills kill order on Peter Parker, and he's just naming certain details out loud, and this will come back and play a little later. But as Beck is finally defeated, Peter finally talks to MJ. That is now an official thing. Mm-hmm. They come back to the States. And it, there was a very interesting moment, too, because uh, at this point, too, the romance of Ned and Betty is broken up for now. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Typical yeah. th- high school romance. But when Flash Thompson comes in, when everybody's greeting with his parents, his doesn't show up. Nope. And I think that might play into a factor in the next Spider-Man film. Could be. I'm not sure what exactly, but I thought it was very interesting that they had to show that. And it, yeah, it was a little odd for, like, I know it's Flash Thompson. I know he's one of the main characters in Peter Parker's life, but it was still a little odd to, like, spend a, a portion of time focused on Flash, not Peter or anybody else, and deliberately show, oh, Mother couldn't make it. Yeah, there's something to that as well. There's two kind of semi-cliffhangers that if you really pay attention to the film, you really should keep an eye out for as we're moving forward. That is one. The other is Dimitri. Mm-hmm. Because Dimitri was in London in disguise. Yep. And as I've said on here before, my ODPH guess is he is the chameleon. And I think he is. They didn't come out and say it, but he was in disguise in London. And how he's kind of blending in, I don't know where it's going to play into factor with Nick Fury moving forward. But I think it's an interesting tidbit if you know the character of the chameleon in the Spider-Man mythos. And as they end the film, everybody's having their good feel-good moments. Peter is addressing the romance of Happy and his Aunt May. He's Because like, even us, the audience, know that they're dating. It's just they haven't said anything and they haven't told Peter. But it's right. like when Happy is going over to Aunt May's charity and helping out and like eating from her lunch, it's a little obvious. Right. So it's very interesting to see how they're doing this. But... As Peter is swinging through Manhattan with MJ, and now we're going to the bonus scene. Mm-hmm. Pad, I know you want to talk about this ah. one, so I'll let you take this one because you know I'm going to close with the other bonus scene. This, to me, and I will hear nothing else, is the greatest bonus scene in cinema history, like I bar none. Uh, so the movie ends with Peter swinging with MJ through the city, and she's really freaking the heck out because, honestly, which one... Who wouldn't if that's your first time? And then it goes to the credits and then you get the mid credit scene and they're doing it again. And they land outside of Madison Square Garden in a, in a scene very reminiscent of something from the 
PlayStation 4 video game. And they kind of have, and this is kind of the weird thing that like nobody's making a fuss of Spider-Man living, landing in the middle of the street with some girl and they're talking like friends as if they're, they're a little friendly. Well, it's New York and it's, yeah. the MC, it's MCU yeah. New York. So I, I mean, I'm That's sure they're true. probably familiar with this. I mean, they, they're probably seeing Spider-Man swinging around taking sel- selfies of himself. Yeah. A la Spider-Man 4 or the PS4, the PS4 game. game. Yeah. So he gets ready to take off and he leaps up in the air and he lands on a light post and then, you know, the big video board on Madison Square Garden cuts into a local news broadcast where, and it's kind of like a follow-up from the events in London and in some recently released footage just before uh, Quentin Beck's death. And that interesting stuff Beck was saying right before he he died, all of a sudden comes into play and now he's playing it off and it's kind of edited into a way that paints Spider-Man as the villain of the whole events that took place over in Europe, that he is the one behind it. And he said, execute them all. Yes, he has now framed Peter Parker because at this point he's faked his own death, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure we're going to see Jake Gyllenhaal back in Spider-Man Three. Mm-hmm. Well, it, Sony has wanted to do a, a Sinister Six movie badly for the last thirteen, fourteen years. They're going to get it, and they have set it up in the right way too. Because as this footage is getting leaked, Pad, who is leaking this footage? J. Jonah Jameson, played by none other than J.K. Simmons. My God, yes, he is back. Yes, he is back. Finally, how this is tying into anything. Is I don't care. J.K. Simmons is back. Exactly. It doesn't really matter because He's- I will say this. It really speaks to a actor or actresses portrayal of a character when any portrayal of that character in anything after that is modeled around them. There are two instances that I can think of. Sam Jackson is Nick Fury because you had a lot a lot of times now and even a little bit before that uh, Nick Fury was modeled after Sam Jackson. But then any instance, uh, video games, cartoons, even comics, he is modeled after and looks a heck of a lot like J.K. Simmons. Look at look up footage from this uh, Spider-Man PS4 video game. He he sounds like J.K. Simmons. It's not I don't think it is J.K. Simmons, but he sounds like him. Right. They're using the Daily Bugle almost as like a web newspaper, too, which is kind of like an interesting way. Like for some people, it's interesting, but it's almost a a playoff of what they did in the PS4 video game where, you know, J in the PS4 video game. uh, J. Jonah Jameson is no longer the editor of the Daily Bugle, but he has his own like internationally syndicated podcast where he's still doing the same thing and he's still trashing Spider-Man, but it's just on a global scale. Right. And at this point too, during this footage, it is now revealed that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And, and Peter, does, and this is awesome. Uh, Tom Holland does one of the classic like comic looks of Spider-Man going, Oh no. Yeah. And that's how it fades to black, which is interesting to see that they've now publicly outed him mm-hmm. because there's a lot of possibilities they can go. Yeah. My fear with this is they go the Civil War comic route. Yeah. And I swear to you, if they try doing omit on screen, I might flip out. I don't think they'll go full omit. They might borrow parts of it. They could they could I just I, I just leave it alone. It wouldn't make sense for them to go full omit when he's sixteen. I I still though, I don't like anything involving that storyline. If you don't know what I'm talking about do your homework, go to your local comic shops and pick up the Spider-Man Civil War tie-ins. And when Omit is released is on there too, I mean, you should read it. It's it's worth a read, but I am I will be very honest, I am not a fan of it by any means, and I hope they stay away from it for the films. Because I think they have another loophole out of it. Mm-hmm. Because there's a second bonus scene yep. where you see Nick Fury... And Maria Hill talking in a car. Mm-hmm. 
But it's not Nick Fury, is it, though, Pat? No, it is uh, the two scrolls that were kind of the main scrolls from back in Captain Marvel. And why is this important? Uh, because Nick Fury and Maria Hill, for the week, were scrolls That we know were for the week. And the other interesting thing I want to know is there is an interesting thing that was mentioned in the Berlin scenes where uh, Fury and Maria Hill were walking through the streets of Berlin. There's a quick, if you're not paying attention, you're not listening to a moment where Fury says... I thought the scroll secret cells were on a need-to-know basis. Yeah. It's an interesting Easter egg inside of an Easter egg, so mm-hmm. to speak. But, I mean, I am just a fan of this that I was right. for a, Now, you were partially right because your thing, if I'm not mistaken, was it's going to tie into Secret Wars, which it still could. But it, the way it's seeming is... Uh, he's talking to Fury in a video chat for what seems like he's now he's just talking about the last week. So for to our knowledge, this was just for the last week. Right. He's been doing this. But the big tie in with this is Fury's watching the message from a what appears to be a beach. And I thought it was going to be Tahiti and that was going to be a fun tie in with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Sadly, it's not. It was like a holographic projection of a beach and he gets up and they're building a massive space station looking thing. Yeah, it's a very interesting tie in that they're going to introduce sword mm-hmm. to the MCU. Which, this brought up a bunch of ideas for me. One, obviously, if they weren't fully doing Nova, oh, they're doing Nova. And, and for those who don't know what S.W.O.R.D. is, what is S.W.O.R.D.? S.W.O.R.D. is the space version of S.H.I.E.L.D. Which, given the events of, I don't know, the last two major Avengers movies, makes all the sense in the world. Oh, yeah. No, it makes perfect sense. And how they're going to tie this in, there's ties in with Captain Marvel. There's ties in with Alpha Flight, which I don't know how they're going to pull that off. Because they haven't really delved into that into the MCU, but I'm all for that. If they want to do Alpha Flight on the, on the MCU, pff, go right ahead. How they're going to implement this is very interesting because Sword has a very unique history to it. There is ties with Hank McCoy, aka Beast from the mm-hmm. X Men, but just the fact that they're now pushing that, this is fully convinced me that one, they are doing Secret Invasion. Oh yeah, even even with because. At the time in that Berlin scene, it seems like, oh, Fury knows. Like, because I'm on board with you that the next thing they're doing build up, even if it's not the next, like, Infinity War build up, but it's like the next major Marvel, like, Avengers build up, uh, is going to be Secret Wars. I thought it was, oh, Fury knows. You know, he's on, he's on top of it. He knows. The whole, but then you get to the whole twist. Oh, no, that's not Sam Jackson, Nick Fury. That's Scroll Nick Fury. So, no, he's he's totally playing him. It is an interesting point because there is a throwaway line, too, if you really think about it. When Peter Parker is naming all the heroes that should be jumping in, Mm. he mentions Captain Marvel. And you see the reaction. Don't you dare speak that name. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting at the time. But now then once you see the ending, you go, oh, there's some more to this that I guarantee you will find out about Captain Marvel, too. Mm -hmm. But now they've implemented S.W.O.R.D., and my theory is they're going to get Peter Parker out of this by having a scroll dress up or shapeshift, rather, into Spider-Man and have Peter Parker with him and kind of downplay that out because, obviously, they don't want to have that revealed. Right. Which I think is going to build into your Sinister Six versus Spider-Man end-all, be-all Spider-Man 3 movie. Mm -hmm. That is where I'm predicting it's going. And then for the rest of the MCU, we do know Thor is in outer space with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm -hmm. We do know that now with the properties that have been acquired by Marvel from Fox. There is a chance down the road of a Silver Surfer appearance. Yeah. There is a chance that we might see some more cosmic characters get brought into the MCU. Mm -hmm. Nova is obviously the obvious 
choice because they did the Easter egg, which I, yeah, that was there for a reason. Yeah, that wasn't there yeah, for fan yeah, service. Yeah. So I would expect we will see Nova first. Mm-hmm. But with Secret Invasion being the kickoff to where the next phase is going to be in Marvel, I think is a really interesting take that they're going to try doing. I'm very intrigued by this. Yeah. Because without Iron Man and without Captain America, the next tier of Marvel heroes is going to have to step up and fight this cosmic Big time. battle. And then let alone when the Fantastic Four gets fully established, because that is coming. Oh, yeah. It's just a matter of when, not if. Doctor Doom will be involved. <sighs> I think the ultimate endgame, pun intended, uh. is to do Secret Wars, but Secret Invasion is going to be the setup. Okay. And how they drag it out from point A to point B is going to be the long game. Is it going to be another 20 films? Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. But it'll be well worth it if they do. Because last I heard, that was the film the Russo brothers really wanted to do again if they were going to come back to Marvel. Mm -hmm. And I think it'd be smart to do, but that's just my opinion. But final thoughts on the movie, Pad. Great film, awesome movie. You know, really, you should go see it if you're a Marvel fan. Uh, I should also mention, it did already break a record. Uh, Of course, it opened on a Tuesday uh, and domestically had $39.3 million opening domestically, which broke the record set by The Amazing Spider-Man, which posted a $35 million opening way back when. So congratulations to the folks at Marvel and Sony and Spider-Man. This film is fun. It's energetic. It is a throwback to Stan Lee's writing of just how Peter Parker has his coming-of-age moments as Spider-Man. Jake Gyllenhaal was excellent in this film. And I know when he was first casted, everybody was kind of, hmm, Jake Gyllenhaal, really? He played a great Mysterio. I would love Bruce Campbell if it was still the Sam Raimi universe to be Mysterio. Unfortunately, we didn't have it. Maybe down the road we can have kind of a tie-in. It would be really cool. But Jake Gyllenhaal definitely did his part in this movie. And for the setup, like I said, it's not the best written movie. It's not going to be a deep, epic build-up like Avengers Endgame. But it's a fun movie, and it reminds you why Spider-Man is Spider-Man and why you gravitate towards him as being the everyday hero with all the heart in the world and the everyday problems. It's one of the most resonating themes of the superhero universe, and this is why you go check it out. If you're a Spider-Man fan, you will love it. If you're not a Spider-Man fan, you'll still find points that you will like. And at the end of it, I was still right about the bonus scene, and I'm taking that chip home with me, Pat. But either way, let me know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What was your thoughts on Spider-Man Far From Home if you have gone seen it? If you're not going to go see it, I kind of want to know why, too, because I think you should definitely check it out. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Rob Kacharek from the band 607, Autopilot Off, and Walking Distance, and you're listening to ODPH. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. Now, between Spider-Man news, there was a big news story that broke Mm -hmm. that we have to jump in and break down. Holy cow. The Walking Dead comic which has been around for 16 years now, 193 issues. Impressive. Suddenly is done. Yeah. Out of nowhere. Left field, out of the blue, whatever phrase you want to use. No, Robert Kirkman and Charles Eldred's masterpiece of horror comic Mm -hmm. brought to life, becoming the mainstream pop culture phenomenon that it has abruptly ended. Yeah. 
like just out of the blue like it, you know it wasn't any like fanfare or hey we got a big announcement you know there wasn't anything like what marvel did with announcing jj abrams is doing a spider-man comic you know where there, there was the countdown there no this was just literally like the day before the comic came out hey walking dead comic is ending and it's ending tomorrow yeah kirkman and Adlard's book just had more issues to go there was some promotional art for it yeah and they decided to say no that the story had ran its course now this pad when you heard this news what was your initial reaction uh my jaw was on the floor first of all because you know i knew they were up there in, in issues but i figured and i knew that kirkman had said it a couple of years ago that he had an ending in mind for for both the show and the comic and that you know he would do it when the time felt right but i always you know given that we just had the major milestone in 192 the last issue where rick grimes died off i figured okay rick grimes died off i figured they might go for 200 and then end it on 200 i thought so too it would make a lot of sense and obviously how the show is gone and just from its humble beginnings of just a story of a man who's a sheriff in a town and he gets shot and then wakes up in a coma and the whole world is turned upside down it's overran by zombies no reason why, and it's the battle of survival, and then it turns out, okay, what's the biggest monsters? Zombies are actual human beings. Mm-hmm. And you go through this journey with this cast of characters that you get attached to. And the one thing about the book is it always kept you on your toes. Yeah. That they weren't afraid to kill off major characters. At any given point. At any given moment. The story of Rick Grimes and company just really gravitated and yeah. became, became a surprise hit, too, because I think at that time... Image Comics was kind of a little transition period, in my opinion. Yeah. Because obviously, from where it started with the Big Seven and leaving Marvel and doing the big superhero books, to see a nice independent book come out from this. And just, it was a straight up zombie horror comic and set in a real world setting. Mm-hmm. It's just an amazing thing to see. And especially for when it showed up, too. I mean, it's kind of a different thing to see emerge. Yeah. But yet it did. And once it got on TV, that's when it really took off. So that just blew the, the roof off the place. Right, because when it came out, it was something that comic book fans were like, okay, this is very interesting. Even to this day, it's, it's something that, like, you know, if, if you're not maybe up with the current issues, you know, like some people, like, I don't have every back issue individually. I've been collecting them in, like, the volume hardcover books, so, like, volume one, volume two, which it's, like, I don't know how many uh, issues put together but like anytime a new one of those comes out you got to be quick on the uptake of getting those because they're so such a hot commodity that often bookstores will sell out of them right no the walking dead has just turned on to a pop culture phenomenon yeah i mean when frank darabont brought the film to amc or brought the book to amc rather should i say and just did it it was arguably for panel for panel right along with the comics yeah until they started getting on a little later on the show and obviously the history of the showrunners on Walking Dead is its own story. Yeah. But to see where it's progressed and how an emerging actor of Norman Reedus turned a character of Daryl Dixon into just a side character into one of the biggest faces in yeah. pop culture TV. Well, so it takes a character who realistically wasn't supposed to survive past one of the early episodes of season one, but now is at the point where if that character dies, the internet will legitimately riot. Oh, absolutely. And just to go show how far that show has come too. The books were still coming out as well. And the books definitely were not, I would say, affected that much by the shows. No. Because if you go and you start reading the comics, they never catered to the show. No. Which in the sense of Daryl Dixon has never appeared in a comic of The Walking Dead. No. To our knowledge, unless he's a side character we've never found out about. Right. 
but to see where the show has gone and has you know spawned on the characters to where they've now become like I said pop culture pop culture icons. Mm-hmm. To see the show rather the book comic or the comic book rather I'm sorry getting my universes mixed up here. To see the comic end so abruptly yeah. is it's almost fitting to a degree. Right. It, for me, I you know, it's shocking and it's surprising, but at the same time, I'm happy with it because the thing I've always said, and I'll say it time and time again until I'm blue in the face, I would much rather, and not just a comic, but anything, you know, TV series, video game series, movie series, go out when its creators want it to rather than it get dragged out and run into the proverbial ground. You know, obviously Kirkman felt that this, you know, as you said, the story had run its course. They really had nothing more to do, more to do with the story. And, you know, if they're happy with the ending, I'm happy with the ending. I have to agree too. I, this is very just sudden, just on a couple different aspects. I mean, one, the, the book was still going. Yeah. They just did a major twist, which spoiler, I guess Rick Grimes was killed off. Right. And where the book was going to go. I was actually excited to see how, it was going to go from here. Yeah. But in the end, it all tied around Rick. And if you've read uh, the book and the ending, I mean, I've read a spoiler for it. I don't really want to spoil it for anybody right now because the book is literally just came out. It's a fitting end and it yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And I guess is that is the best way to end the book because like Pat was saying, you don't want to just dragging on just to drag on. Right. And the same thing with the show because Obviously, as TV has progressed, the actors on the show have now grown into movie movie stars in their own rights mm-hmm. and different television ventures, too. Yeah. So to keep that cast together has been very interesting to see. And, just, and there are still some mainstays from the first season. But obviously, the biggest change, I think, was when Andrew Lincoln left. Yeah. And obviously, he's now transitioning into his own AMC movies mm-hmm. for the trilogy of Rick Grimes. Yeah. And to see where The Walking Dead has spawned now, too, like I said, pop culture has definitely been impacted by it. Yeah. And you've seen a lot more horror TV shows come out. I mean, I know I'm going to talk about one little in one shots later, but you've seen it just kind of how it's resonated and how it's you know spiraled into something completely different. We now have a spinoff show, Fear the Walking Dead. Right. Which started as a prequel, now is caught up to the real time. Uh, well, it's, it's close. From what I read, because I was reading some other articles about Fear the Walking Dead, if, uh, if the article I was reading right there, about six months behind where the show currently is, off where the Walking Dead currently is. Okay. But still, it's now almost getting coincided with it, which, right. which it makes sense to a certain degree because there's certain characters that are now crossing over and kind of adding some unique depth to, yeah. Yeah. to the show, which, like I said, I'm not saying it's sorely needed, but it was definitely a nice shot in the arm because to tell the story as you keep progressing with it is very interesting to see. Right. So that being said, where the show is going now, AMC has said they still have a lot more material coming. They definitely made a point to say that because there's yeah. a third Walking Dead show yeah. coming at some point, and the only thing that I've heard through various sites I read, the general consensus is going to be based around a young group of, I want to say teenagers to young adults okay. that have now grown up in this okay. world. Okay. So that being said, though, Pad, the impact of the comic, where do you think that stands? I think the comic will definitely it has a lasting impact not just on comics but you know TV and movies in general because I think if the comic wasn't as popular as it was 
AMC wouldn't have given it the time of day. And if AMC didn't give it the time of day, you wouldn't have, you know, I don't think something like World War Z would have been turned from a novel into a movie. Now, I know, you know, people's opinions on that movie are somewhat skewing on the negative side. But regardless, that would never have been because if you ever read the book, the book is vastly different than what the movie is. Mm. The, the book is kind of a telling after everything has happened. You know, I think something like Z Nation, which I think is on sci-fi, wouldn't have happened. I think something like uh, Black Summer, which is a fantastic show on Netflix, wouldn't have happened if The Walking Dead and I mean, both comic form and TV form weren't as popular as it became. I have to agree. I mean, Walking Dead, the comic, definitely set a precedent that not everything needed to be a superhero book. And not, and we've obviously covered this. I mean, yeah. there is plenty of great comics that are not related to the superhero universe. But for Walking Dead to really strike out with a pretty simplistic concept of there's zombies everywhere, how do humans survive? Yeah, I mean, if you want to get down to the gist of it. Yeah, and I mean, if you're, you're not quite sure how hilariously outnumbered they are, you can find articles and stuff online with, like, rough estimates based on, you know, the world population against how many, you know, characters they think are alive in the in the series. Like, they're hilariously outnumbered. Oh, yeah, absolutely. To see this fight for survival and see the characters and how they connect, and then when they see other characters mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. the interactions there. I mean, you go from the simple story of Rick Grimes just trying to find his family to him battling the governor. Yeah. To him battling his arch nemesis, Negan. Yeah. To the whispers and all points in between. You can go through the whole story arc. The whole comic itself, it, for being a black and white comic, is almost unheard of these days because right. everything is, you know... I want to say not as, as glossy as it was in the 90s and 2000s, right, but, right. but just, a, just a simple concept of just painting the bleakest picture. Mm -hmm. And everything in The Walking Dead, too, you have to say is very bleak. Yeah. There, there's no real hope in it. You get glimpses of happiness and glimpses of good things, but it's you know it doesn't take many page turns to quickly change that thought. Right, and as you go through and you connect with these characters, Kirkman did an amazing job of writing them off. And yeah. just when, yeah. when you needed a real shot in the arm in, in the story, he did it. And, I mean, there's certain aspects, too. You get to a point where it's like, where do you go from here? Yeah. Which I know has been a complaint about the show, which is you almost kind of get into the same, you know, cycle almost. And you have to do something really big to shake it up. And it all depends on your antagonists and how they resonate, too. I mean, when Negan was introduced in the comic, that was a big moment. Mm -hmm. Issue 100 is a huge moment in, yeah. in Walking Dead. Yeah. That's when Glenn got killed off. And you could say that was almost a turning point in the series itself. Right. Because if you compare that to the TV show, when that moment happened and Negan was introduced on TV, that shook a lot of viewers. And that was something you and I know who knew he was coming and knew that. We we had multiple conversations of we don't, didn't know how they were going to be able to pull it off. No, and they did not hold back any punches. The one thing about The Walking Dead is it is as brutal as it comes to mm -hmm. storytelling. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't pull anything back. And to see the journey that it's become and just how it's made such an impact. And you even always say the TV show would never be anywhere near as good as it was. If it weren't for the comic. Yeah. Because it borrowed so much from the comic. And then, obviously, when, like I said, it's gone under different showrunners, they've gone in different direction, directions, but Kirkman's always been a part of it. Yeah. So he's definitely steered the course along with everybody else that's involved. To see where it's gone and just the door that it's open, because if Walking Dead didn't succeed, you arguably would never have had a happy on TV. No. You wouldn't have had Deadly Class on TV. No. You wouldn't have had Preacher on TV. Definitely you, not. You definitely wouldn't have Why the Last Man coming to TV. 
and just to see the independent comic just really rise up. I mean, that has probably showed a lot of networks that, yeah, you can take an independent comic and really go somewhere with it. And to see it done so well, I mean, it all comes back to the comic. And to see how the story ended, it's a very interesting ending. I will say that. I, I, I'm very good with it. Um, kind of surprised at it a little bit. Yeah. Because, I, like I said, I don't want to give any spoilers away because the issue literally just came out. Mm-hmm. I might have something to say about it on a blog maybe next week. I, I might go for something with that. But overall, though, Pat, the lasting impact you think The Walking Dead is going to have, and do you think there's ever going to be another comic like it? I think the lasting impact it's it's going to have is it's you know when pe- when people talk about major impact like comic books that have had a lasting impact on you know culture itself, you know obviously Watchmen is going to be up there. I think Walking Dead is going to be in that conversation with just how far reaching it was and how much it changed. I think The Walking Dead will always be known as a book that really came out at a time where we haven't seen a really big book hit stands and really change the the culture, so to speak, of comics in a long time. Because in the 90s, it was all about the X-Men, and, and then Image Comics rose up, and when you had the creators come out, with like Spawn and Wildcats and everybody else that was involved there, Youngblood, and just to, you know, to see that change that for early in the 2000s, coming out of that period, too, to see a book that has really been original idea, yet a very similar concept, take off and become the, the mammoth pop culture juggernaut that it is, is a truly telling story to its creators. And to continue telling that story, and then ending, honestly, like how it began, mm-hmm. under the radar, yeah. nobody saw it coming, yet leaving that lasting impact. Walking Dead 193 is out right now at your local comic book shops. It's done by Image Comics. Go down, pick it up, read it. It's an exercised issue, and it's definitely a love letter. If you're a fan of The Walking Dead and if you've never picked up an issue, I strongly recommend you checking out their trade paperbacks Yeah, and definitely see what the fuss is about. Yeah, for sure. Because it will definitely have you hooked, and you can definitely understand why this is such a big deal. And to be very interested to see what the creators are going to do on moving forward. So hit us up on that hashtag, shall you? Hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts on The Walking Dead getting canceled? What do you think the lasting impact's going to be? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. The ODPH is proud sponsors of Robocon 2019, happening September 28th and 29th. Don't miss out on Binghamton, New York's biggest sci-fi, fantasy, and gaming convention of the year. For badge details and more info, Check out Robocon.org. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. We went a little extra long talking about Spider-Man, so we're going to kind of hit everything off with one shots to close out the show. Pad, what you got? Well, I've got a couple of things. Uh, first off is a little interesting, I guess, kind of first look at an upcoming Netflix series that I and several people I know are very, very excited for. Uh, it is a poster and kind of character posters for their upcoming series, The Witcher. Yes, based off of the popular books and video game series starring Henry Cavill as the title character Geralt of Rivia. Uh, looks very interesting, looks very good. Uh, I know a lot of people are kind of skeptical when the first kind of look at what 
uh, Henry Cavill looked at in the post and in, in kind of the costume. A lot of people were kind of skeptical of it. I was a little bit skeptical, but that was kind of like, all right, he's just wearing the costume. He's not in full makeup. And but you get the you look at the character poster for him. He looks great. It looks grizzled. I know a lot of people online are going, where's his second sword? Because of course he does fight monsters and he carries two swords. One being steel for fighting your your common enemies. The other being silver so that he can fight on kind of the undead. You know your your monsters and your your weird looking stuff uh no known date of when this is coming out this is literally kind of the first look outside of the character like what he looks in the costume photo we've gotten from but they will have a panel coming up at san diego comic-con for that show specifically so if i were a betting man i'd be willing to say but uh, some point during that panel we will be getting a trailer for said show which i am all sorts of excited for that's got to be a safe bet that it's going to be at san diego mm-hmm. i yeah. can almost guarantee that yeah. that's going to go down to you're going to see a trailer there yeah uh, the other one is one that came out today as we record, of course, uh, Amazon coming out, out and I want to say it's 2020, uh, has their Lord of the Rings TV series uh, being made, which is going to be set before the movies, you know, before The Hobbit, before Lord of the Rings. If you're a fan of Lord of the Rings, uh, going to be set in the second age. Uh, they do have a, you know, not much is known about who's going to be in the show, but it is known who is at least going to direct the first two episodes of the show. Uh, Amazon has topped J.A. Bayona to direct the first two episodes of the show and that is a little noteworthy because most recently uh, he directed Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Okay. So a little bit of interesting news tickling uh, trickling out excuse me about uh, Amazon's Lord of the Rings series another one I'm very much looking forward to and I can't wait to see. Definitely excited to hear about that coming out too because I mean who knows where we're going to get out of that. Yeah. And obviously with the subject being you know brought to screen it's anybody's guess. Mm-hmm. So for my one shots, I did say we're going to talk a little Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so I will give you a very, very quick breakdown because this episode, a lot has been happening, Yeah, and they're definitely picking up speed. Fitz and Simmons now have definitely made their plan to come home happen. They had to escape Kitson, and and how they pulled this off again, too, truly remarkable, but definitely, I want to say it's very Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.-ish. Yes. to, To put it mildly. To see now that they're finally coming back to Earth, Enoch has now left them for now. But they did leave a com- or he did leave them a communication device so he can get a hold of them. Mm-hmm. And to get back to Earth to what they're walking into, the Shrike has now made its appearance to Mac and company firsthand that they're going after the targets alone. And Sarge, aka Coulson, has been just kind of playing the long game and even said at the beginning of the episode, "I will be taking." over shield by the time it's all said and done uh, which i mean given sarge i don't doubt him right so at this point he definitely made that promise come true because when the shrike were i want to say transforming however you want to find the moment on the ship yo-yo was in trouble mm-hmm. and it was basically like how do i beat it well you know what you got to do and just let my team go free and that whole sequence when they when people were turning was just all sorts of creepy and gnarly oh yeah i mean they've definitely played up the horror element mm-hmm. of the shrike which mm-hmm. i do like on this so when push came to shove mac made the tough call and let sarge yeah. free yeah and now it appears that, Col- that sarge colson is now running shield yeah which is wild to see. So mm-hmm. it is anybody's guess. The episode was great. Definitely check it out on your streaming services when you can. And speaking of San Diego Comic-Con, it has been announced that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is actually going to be at Comic-Con this year at San Whoa. Diego. And I believe it's Hall H, too. Uh-oh. Which is the first time in memory because Uh-oh. they usually take New York Comic-Con. Yeah. 
So the fact the agents are going to be at, at San Diego, and like I said, I believe they're going to be at, at Hall H. They're going to blow the roof off the place. Uh, if you've never been to that panel, yeah. trust me, yeah. they have one of the best panels going. Been to a few, personally. Uh, they're always high energy. Yes. You definitely want to go for a good time. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. will be the one to go see. And like I said, I'm pretty sure without looking, they are going to be at Hall H. If not, I will tweet out an apology and say. But they are definitely going to be there. So then my question becomes... Well, if they're going to be at San Diego, who's coming to New York? Mm. And is it my favorite divine pairing on Freeform Thursday oh. nights? Maybe I'm putting that karma out there, Marvel. If you're not giving us Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I want Cloak and Dagger at New York Comic Con. Let's see what happens, folks. And to close out, two great shows are returning to different streaming services. Young Justice Outsiders Part 2 is coming now on the DC Universe streaming service. Go check it out. Phenomenal animated show. Can't do enough justice to it. And coming to Netflix is the return of Stranger Things. Ah, Stranger Things 3 is now debuting. It's set in the summer of 1985. And Hawkins, Indiana has always been a crazy place with the Upside Down and the Demogorgon and the Mind Flayer and just everything going on with Eleven, Will, Dustin, Lucas, and Mike and our Sheriff Jim Hopper, who we know as Hellboy, David Harbour. Everything about this show, if you have not seen it, if we've talked about horror comics and horror shows, speaking of The Walking Dead, this one plays right up to it. The 80s vibe is so there. And when we talk about cultural impacts of pop culture, Stranger Things, when it came out, definitely took everybody by storm, and it continues to look like it's going to keep on that pace. And I have heard nothing but rave reviews about this season. And, and you know a show is having a major impact on pop culture when, of course, this is set in 1985, which is also the same time that Coca-Cola decided to try New Coke uh, back in the day. And if you are were around back then, you know how that went. Uh, if you don't, uh, look up an article or look up a YouTube video about it. It's a lesson. Uh, but it, it really says something about the cultural impact of a show when said company is willing to bring back said drink for a promotional piece for the show. Yeah, the show is so well well done and if you like i say if you really want to experience the 80s feel to a show without feeling like it's so retro it's not going to connect this is a very modern retelling of the 80s with a horror feel to it and how they pull this off is amazing Mm -hmm. i love this show i cannot wait to start binge watching definitely might have a blog up about it sooner than later and definitely want to hear what you have to think about it so hit us up on our social media accounts hashtag odph join in the conversation because that's all i got for this week so for padawan j thank you thank you i'm your host ken M. thank you as always for listening to the ocho duro parlay hour podcast we'll see you next time (laughs) 